Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined on the line later today by Adam Luwakano. Before we get into this week's show, though, I want to give you guys a little recap of uh, the week that was and the week that will be. Starting off with last week, man, it was productivity <laughs> at its finest. I had a offline business mastermind group. So all it is is for fellow gym owners, a small group of us get together twice a year, uh, some really, really high-level guys in this group. They definitely push me. And while we generally bounce around from different locations, we've done one in Austin, we've done one in Miami. This time, it was at my home base. We decided we were going to come to Naptown, and I kind of hosted the whole thing. So lots of fun. We definitely ate very, very well while the boys were in town, got a ton of good work done. And man, I mean, when you're surrounded by great people, it just makes sense. You want to level your game up. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later on. But, you know, the, as the saying goes, you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time around, or you're the average of the five people you spend the most time around. So if you want to level up in any area of life, find better people to hang out with. So awesome time with the group. This past Sunday, I did uh, a trial run of a small coaching workshop. And, you know, this is something that I'm really looking to do more of in the future. And again, not to get ahead of myself, but man, there's just a lot of, of young up and coming coaches that want to get better. You know, they want to become the best possible coach or trainer that they can. And unfortunately, you know, the certifications just aren't getting the job done. You know, you get the certificate and you're like, what's next? So events like this are are times where I can really dive in and work hands-on in these small, intimate settings. And the great part is I can not only expose them to our philosophy and give them some insight as to why we do the things that we do, but it's all about reps, right? It's all about reps. And, you know, whether it's a mentorship process, whether it's hiring a coach, man, you need to be coached yourself. But again, I'm getting ahead of myself. But the, the seminar was awesome. Like I said, just a small, intimate environment we covered a ton of ground, but I know the people that did attend are going to take a ton away from the time that we spent together. So that was really fun. And then this week, the the coaching tour de force is in full effect. You know, we had a really busy morning at the barn, getting more and more guys into our, our NBA pre-draft program and these guys that are coming back from Europe and coming back from the NBA and the G League. So really fun getting all these guys in and we're making really cool changes in a very short period of time because these guys are like sponges. So it's been really fun doing that. Got the soccer girls back. I got my boy Jalen back from the AAF. So lots of coaching going on. But as you know, I absolutely love that. So this is like my prime time for coaching for about the next three to four months. So if I'm a little bit less active on the social medias, you'll know why. Content this week, man. I think a really, really solid lineup. Again, I had to dig into the archives a little bit because I just didn't have time with uh, the business group being in town with the workshop this weekend to write something new. So I, I dug into the archives and, and pulled out my Should You Squat Tall Athletes article. If you have not read this, go in and read it now. And don't let the title confuse you. I think this is a truly beneficial article for any coach that coaches athletes, or honestly, any trainer that just wants to have a better idea as to why we squat. What are some of the benefits of squatting or teaching a proper squat pattern? 
So I love that piece. If you haven't checked it out, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Definitely check that out. New video up on coaching and cueing the glute bridge. And this may seem like minutia. Okay. This may seem like, wow, we're really like diving into the weeds here, but I'm telling you guys, I see so many people doing a glute bridge the wrong way. And I'm tempted to go in and show an old demo video that I have on YouTube where I'm barrel chested. You know, I got this massive rib flare. I'm like ramming my hips up to the top. And if you're coaching a glute bridge that way, don't feel bad. That's how I did it for years. But I think there's a far superior way to do it. And in this video, I dive into some of the nuance and what I think are some best practices when it comes to coaching and cueing a glute bridge. Last but not least, I wanted to tell you guys this. I think it was only two, maybe three weeks ago, I started talking about you know getting to 100 five-star rankings on iTunes. And I just wanted to let you know, I just checked today, and literally two and a half, three weeks, we went from 78 to 101. So it took me 170 episodes or whatever it was to get to 78. And like the last three, we've gotten 23 more five-star reviews. So I just want to take one moment and sincerely thank you. Like, man, I appreciate the support. When I ask you to do something like that, I appreciate it. But more importantly, I just appreciate your support for the show as a whole. I mean, pretty soon here, we're going to cross a million downloads. And to me, that seems freaking mind-blowing and awesome. It also makes me feel really small when I hear Tim Ferriss gets that in like six weeks of one episode. But by and large, this show has been a massive success for me personally, professionally, and I hope it has made you a better trainer or coach. So thank you so much for helping me get to 100. Next goal, and I'm not even going to ask for it now, but our next goal is going to be to get to 250. Okay. So before we jump into the show with Adam, I've got a deep thought for the week. And I've already mentioned it. I've already alluded to it a couple times now. But this idea of as a coach, as a trainer, are you getting the coaching and the mentorship that you need to get to the next level? And I'm a big believer that coaches need mentors. And more importantly, everybody needs mentors. If you want to be as successful as you possibly can in any area of your life, it's very hard to do it on your own, right? Like, let's be honest here. It's not an information thing. We all have information. What a lot of us struggle is to filter that information, or we struggle to stay accountable to ourselves. And and it sucks to say that, but look, guys, I'm the same way. I am the exact same way, but I know from a personal perspective that whenever I've hired a coach in a specific area of my life, I've seen massive success. Okay. So I'm going to give you a couple examples of myself, and then I'm going to talk about how we can apply this. Number one, when I was in powerlifting and I was, you know, trying to basically get as strong as humanly possible, I basically wrote all my own programs, coached myself, and you know, I did all right. I did all right for myself from 2003 to 2005 is when I started taking over all my own training. And I saw some pretty solid changes. I mean, I went from, I think, a 407-pound squat to a 530-pound squat. I went from like a 275 or 280 bench to like 335. Deadlift didn't change a ton. I think I went from 507 to 535. But still, across the board, I think I put like 250 pounds on my total in about two years. So I'm, I made some great success, but one thing I regret was not having a, a true 
coach. Like the, the people I worked with coached me some, but, you know, having like an elite level power lifter write my programs. And if I can call back for a minute here in about 2011, when I, I made a brief comeback to the sport, I had Mike Tusher write my programs. And I can tell you, he wrote my programs for about 12 weeks. And man, I was freaking strong. I mean, I was really strong. I don't think I moved particularly well because I was so specialized. But hey, man, that's the trade-off. If you want to be freakishly strong or as strong as you can be, you start to uh, sacrifice a little bit of movement quality for that. But that's one example. Hiring Mike Tusherer back in the day got me incredibly strong. Number two, when it comes to my business and my financial stuff, you know, hiring Pat Rigsby as our financial advisor, hiring Shannon Simmons to help with our financials and, and implementing the profit first at iFast. It's made such a big difference, guys. And I know I've talked about it numerous times on this show. I love seeing that some of you have gone out and picked up the Profit First book. But man, again, having a coach, having somebody guide me and to hold me accountable. Because look, there's nothing worse than checking into somebody and being like, oh, yeah, sorry, I didn't do what you asked me to do this week or this month. Like that sucks. That's a bad feeling. So sometimes you're paying for the knowledge and sometimes you're just paying for the accountability. But I think the most impactful mentor for me in my life was when I met Bill. And Bill and I have been friends for, geez, I was thinking about it the other day, like 13, going on 14 years now. It'll be 14 years in, in June or July that we first met. And this was a guy that really challenged me in a lot of ways. I thought at <laughs> 27 years old that I thought I had everything figured out and I was going around and speaking and creating information products and Bill was that guy that, number one, kind of helped me slow my roll in a little, a little bit and never in a negative way, but always kind of helped like steer me in the right direction without just totally beating down my ego in the process. So, you know, for me, anytime I've had a strong mentor or coach in my life, it's made a huge impact. So I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question here because I don't want this to be the MR show about MR. I want this to be about you. And I want you to seriously marinate thought on this. I want you to write it down. I want you to ask, where do you need coaching or mentoring in your life? What areas do you want to level up on? Do you want to become a better trainer or coach? Do you want to live a healthier life? Do you want to get back into shape? Do you need help with your finances? Like, Start to think about the things that give you the most stress and the most anxiety, and that's probably where you need to start. It makes sense, right? Like if you're always stressed out about money, well, you probably need to hire somebody to help you better handle your finances. If you're a trainer or a coach and you're not in the kind of shape you want, you know, look, we all know how it goes. We always are in that servant mentality. We put our clients and our athletes first. So maybe you need to hire somebody, not just for the knowledge, but for the accountability and to make sure that you're putting yourself as a priority in your schedule. So ask yourself this. And, and this is something that I'm really serious about is trying to become a better coach and a better mentor to my staff, to the people that come to my website, that learn from me, whether it's via my articles, my videos, my podcast. And I've alluded to it a couple times here, but I'm kind of let the cat out of the bag. Like my goal is to help our entire industry level up. I want to take the training and the coaching industry up about five notches. And if I can be totally honest here, I feel like the certification process just isn't cutting it. 
you know, like going out and just getting a standard whatever certification, not enough. It's not enough because these things are often written by people that frankly are kind of out of touch when it comes to writing programs and they're out of touch with how things actually go down in gyms. So you guys are probably familiar with Physical Prep 101. I am going to take that product and basically totally blow it up, recreate it and make it into something even more powerful. Okay. So if you purchase Physical Prep between now and then, don't worry you're going to be able to get the upcoming product at whatever the difference in cost is because physical prep is still an amazing product. And if you want to get started now, that's your choice or that's probably your best option. But I mean, what we're going to do in this product, I'm going to dive in and we're going to talk like hardcore programming. How do you set up a program for your average fat loss client, your average muscle building client? I'm going to give you templates to get you started. You know, we're going to talk about coaching. This is one thing that I don't see in enough products. It may talk about this is how you cue an exercise or this is how you write a program, but they never talk about the nuance of actually coaching and interacting with people. That is such a huge part of what we do. And while doing the in-home one-on-one thing wasn't my favorite thing to do in life, it was an absolutely critical part of my development because I learned how to have conversations with people. The joke that I always say is there is no minute longer than having a one minute rest period where you're standing and staring at a person that you have nothing in common with. It's the worst, right? You have to find something to talk about. You have to find ways to create rapport and to build relationships. So coaching is going to be a huge part of it. We're going to talk about the exercises, the progressions, the regressions, and I'm going to cover all those movement patterns, right? Like one of the things I loved about physical prep was we could, I could start to dive in and show you how to progress and build these movement patterns But I also sometimes had people standing in the way. So, you know, I'm going to have a really clean shooting environment. Me and E, I'm going to show you and break down all the different coaching variations that we use. I'm going to show you how to coach and queue up all the various exercises so you know exactly what you're looking at, how to coach it and queue it effectively. And like, guys, I'm just going to really help fill in the gaps. That's what our industry needs. People can go out and get a certification and really have no experience. If I can give you guys one piece of inside baseball here, when I first got my CSCS, number one, I won it in a contest, okay? I submitted my name online, I won a contest, and I won a free chance to take the CSCS. So I go up in 1999, didn't even have my my degree yet, passed the test. Awesome, right? Well, it was awesome, and it's not a knock on the CSCS, but I'd never coached at that point in time. I'd never trained anybody. So that's what this product is going to be geared towards. It's helping fill in the gaps. You've got your cert, but you're maybe not getting the results that you want. You're not seeing the changes in your clients and your athletes. They're not moving the way that you'd like for them to. That's what this product is going to help you do because it's based on 20 plus years of time in the trenches helping my clients and my athletes have success. So anyway, that is coming down the pipeline. I have rambled far too long. Circling all the way back, what do you need coaching and or mentoring on? Really take the time out of your day, even if it's just three to five minutes. Where do you need help? Where are you stressed out? Where are you anxious? And then be okay with admitting, I don't know it all, right? You got a lot going on. You're not expected to know it all. Seek out somebody that can help you level up in whatever area of your life you need help. I guarantee you're gonna be happier, you're gonna be healthier, and you're gonna be more successful as a result. 
So guys, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to jump into the show with that. This episode of the Physical Preparation Podcast is brought to you by Momentus. For many years, I simply disregarded the age-old advice of getting liquid protein in either during or after workouts. Part of this was due to the fact that most had so much crap in them, I didn't want to put them in my body, and others might have been high quality, but tasted absolutely disgusting. However, if you're looking for a protein that's not only high quality, but also tastes amazing, you need to check out Momentus. I've been using Momentus for several months now, and I can tell you it's hands down the best tasting protein I've ever had. But it's not just me. I have numerous elite level athletes who are very picky with their protein powders, and every one of them raves about how great Momentus protein shakes taste. And while the taste is amazing, the best part about Momentus is that they're incredibly transparent with what goes into their product. You never have to worry about a tainted or dirty supplement, as all of their products are NSF and Informed Sports certified. If you'd like to try Momentus out for yourself, head over to livemomentus.com forward slash Robertson and use the code Robertson20 to save 20% off your first order. Or if you want to try before you buy, get a free three-pack sample sent to your house by using the Robertson sample code at checkout. Regardless of which option you choose, I guarantee once you try Momentous Protein Shakes, you'll never go back to anything else. Adam Luwakano is a physical therapist and performance coach with 10 years experience in sport. Adam has worked with various populations, including men, women, and youth athletes. His experiences thus far have also included opportunities in the NBA, MLS, and NWSL in various roles, including rehabilitation, performance coaching, sports science, and as a sport coach. While Adam was a previous guest way back in episode 54, he's had some really cool experiences since that time, and I knew it was time to get him back on. In this show, Adam and I talk about working in both the NBA and MLS, the differences he sees between the two leagues, and why there are more similarities than differences when it comes to developing athletes in both youth and pro sports. Adam is a guy I love chatting with, and I really hope you enjoy the show. Let's do this. Adam, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. It's great to have you back on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure thing, Mike. Uh, thanks for having me back on. It's uh, great to be great catching up with you, talking shop again. Uh, I am a physical therapist and performance coach by trade. Uh, I just finished my 10th year in sport, primarily working in basketball and soccer. I worked the uh, last few years in professional basketball in the NBA with the Atlanta Hawks. And then before that, working in professional women's soccer with the Orlando Pride and the NWSL. And then in men's, professional men's soccer with New England and the MLS and with our youth academy as well. Dude, that's a lot in 10 years, man. <laughs> that's a lot of work. There's, yeah, it's been a good variety, a lot of different exposures. It's been, it's been fun, man, learning from different, different coaches, different management styles, different practitioners. It's offered a lot of opportunity to get a broad scope on things. Yeah, I think that's valuable. And obviously, it's been a little while since you were on the show. What's new in your world? Uh, I guess since the last time I was on the show, I was working in, in pro soccer and now most recently working in pro basketball. So I'd say that's probably the most new thing there and a few speaking opportunities along the way, which has been which has been exciting and a challenge as well. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, you mentioned that you were in the NBA and I would just love to know what was that experience like and how were your day-to-day responsibilities maybe different from what you 
might have done in the past when you were in the soccer realm? It's a, it's a great question. And they're, they're kind of two different things, right? So, oh man, and, and, and soccer is working more along what you kind of say, like on the performance end of the continuum, where my day-to-day was more working as a sport coach, like being responsible for some of the warm-ups and technical sessions, to fitness programming, to strength training, to then after the session working in on GPS analysis and planning a session with a coach. Whereas then when I'm becoming a physical therapist, the opportunity with the Atlanta Hawks was, okay, let's switch to the other end of the continuum towards like health and rehab. And the day-to-day was more of, hey, treatments on the table, working on symptom management, injury assessment, and rehab and kind of allowing myself the opportunity to kind of work along that whole continuum. And it was a fantastic experience because I think at the end of it, looking back at it, it's allowed me to be a little bit more adaptable and creative with what I do because you're able to see, hey, what are these table tests that I see? And then how do they transpire to what I'm seeing in the weight room and vice versa? It's like, oh, like I see how this person moves in the weight room. How does that look in the treatment room? And then being creative and adaptable to the sense that, hey, like guys are going to come to you for two reasons primarily. First one's either probably going to be because they're in pain or they're sore Mm -hmm. or they want to get after in the weight room. So it's like, hey, how do you adapt what they're going to do that day to then meet where they're at, say, along this continuum? And it was just a fantastic learning experience to be able to integrate both sides of the treatment room, the weight room, and develop, I guess you could say my own craft and models, how I might approach that. I think... We're all, we're all chasing that, right? We're all trying to get out of operating in silos in the performance and medical world. And that, that those silos still exist in different sports and different teams. But I think we're being more open to talk about those things and having the opportunity, being very fortunate to have the opportunity to work in both trenches yeah. has really just it's – been, it's been a great learning opportunity. You know, it, it just gives you such a unique perspective and it's something that – you know, I never enjoyed my time working in rehab, <laughs> the three years that I spent there. But man, that really shaped and formed me in such a unique way. And I think, you know, that time really allowed me to grow and evolve so that when I met a guy like Bill, who's obviously he's he's worked the other way. Right. You know, I mean, he was a successful bodybuilder and, you know, obviously is a great, amazing physical therapist. It's allowed us to have so many unique dialogues because we understand or at least are are attempting to understand the entire length of the spectrum. And I think you have that as well now because you've seen it from both both sides and you also understand like, look, there's more to it than just my agenda. You know, it's not just what are my goals? It's what are the strength coaches or what are the therapist goals? What are the athletes goals? It's like, man, there's a lot more factors that play into this than just what boxes do I need to check for myself? Absolutely. And just it gives you it gives you the medium to have that dialogue and gives you an appreciation for the other agendas that do exist and understanding that, hey, like, man, like my goal today is to do X with this player, but I know that he's got three other things to do with three other people on staff. Mm -hmm. And so how can we better either communicate or integrate those so it's less is more or you you stack things on top of each other to be more fluid rather than check this box, check this box. Can we do it more succinctly and integrative? I think is where I've learned to, to kind of integrate it better and, and move forward. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing that you and I both know working in soccer and basketball is that culture is an integral part of sport. So what are some of the cultural differences that you've seen when moving between soccer and basketball? 
I think on the surface, right, if you look at the demographic of what the sports breed in itself, um, basketball is an American-based sport, um, predominantly with the African-American population, where soccer is an international sport dealing with different cultures and countries. Um, so that in itself presents some unique, uh, unique scenarios and environments. But then I guess more like on the physical preparation side, it kind of goes into two directions, I think. Uh, the first one, kind of like the weight room expectation. Uh, in the, in the, at least my experience in the NBA, and I'll speak only on my experience, is that there tends to be more of an acceptance and expectation to be in the weight room. Yep. And I think that's a product of that it is an American-based sport and there's an American-based bias to develop strength and conditioning programs. And also majority of the NBA players go through – one to two years of an NCAA program. And an NCAA model, strength and conditioning, is a integral part of that. So you tend to see just more acceptance, more of a training age in basketball. Mm-hmm. Not, don't get me wrong, if, if they had the choice, they'd be on the court hooping all day as well. But, <laughs> <laughs> but at, the, at the same time, there's that level of expectation to be in the weight room, both from the coaches and the players. They hold themselves accountable as well. Now, in soccer, because it's such a diverse and such the world game, you have so many different players coming from so many different backgrounds and expectations and training methodologies that that is more of a hodgepodge where you get a very mixed bag. And so speaking on the weight room, the expectation is, say, basketball more, soccer a little bit different. Not saying that soccer players don't lift. They certainly do. But again, some of the basketball players – Soccer players would rather be on the field too. And there's also those methodologies out there in soccer where tactical periodization and the stuff that Verheyen's talking about, you can kind of elicit those physical responses on the field, which I think is more of an accepted model mm-hmm. in soccer, which then kind of leads to the second point that kind of is different is the integration of the performance staff with the coaching staff. In soccer, it, just the way the culture is, if you're going to be on the performance staff, you have to have an understanding and appreciation for the sport of soccer. Mm-hmm. So like when I was working with New England or working with the Orlando Pride, I would take the players from you know warm up to tech technical session during training as well, but then also have to be able to talk to the coach and say, hey, kind of have that discussion where Hey, what's the goal of today? How much volume and intensity are we going to have? What kind of training drills do you have? So you're trying to overlay your physical qualities with the tactical side too. And there's a lot of good, a lot of good practitioners out there that are doing that. There's a lot of good research into that as well as far as what size, small side of game is going to elicit what type of physical response. And so the integration of the performance staff with the coaching staff in soccer is more fluid and it's more expected. Whereas my experience in basketball at this point, working under two different coaches, both of them value the performance staff. And I, especially when it comes to rehabbing players, have had nothing but full support from coaches to help integrate these guys as needed, but as sees fit. But when it comes to planning practice, there tends tends to be less of an integration yep. with with basketball. And I, don't, I think it's I think it's a victim of a, sorry a product of fact, it's an American-based sport. Um, a lot of these methodologies in soccer of blending come from international, the international world. And so I think that's where there's a little bit – basketball hasn't caught up, caught up quite yet. Yep. But in, the other thing they kind of have to consider too is in soccer, and we probably talk about this more too, is that in soccer you play one game a week, so you have more time for training. So you kind of do have to plan out training a little bit more methodically, whereas in basketball you're playing, at least in the NBA – Yep. Right, you're playing. You're playing three to four games per week. With you may have two days of travel on top of that. So realistically speaking, how much practice is really occurring, and that's where you kind of 
pick and choose your battles is, do I really want to try and have those conversations about practice or can we, can we make, make more of an impact elsewhere within the performance and medical staff with the coaching staff? And I think over time you'll start to see as, as we're getting better with the return to play process on the court, yeah. I think that's a great education point for the coaches to these young coaches, these young development coaches in basketball where they're starting to appreciate it more. And I think you might see over the coming years them integrating that thought process into, hey, not just the injured players, but what about the healthy players too? Yeah, that's it's such a great point. And, you know, coming back to your first point about you know basketball players generally being a little bit more accepting of the weight room and, and the role that it might play in their development, I mean – I'm sure I'm probably okay to talk about this now, but we had a we had a kid, a kid. He was 34. Uh, Jose Cleberson that played for us uh, the first two years that we had a club here in Indy, and this guy was 34. He was a World Cup winner for Brazil in 2002. He played at Manchester United, played at all these major clubs, and now keep in mind he spoke Portuguese, and so we communicated via very broken Spanish. But he told me that he had never lifted weights before in his life at 34. So, I mean, again, that's uh, N equals one there. But it just shows you that at least in the soccer world, the weight room is still a thing that is slowly becoming more and more accepted, but it's still not 100% of the way there yet. No, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've dealt with the same numerous situations in soccer, too. Like some of our had a Jamaican player that was probably the most athletic guy in the field. And he would always say man, let's, let's, let's do the work on the field. I don't want to be in the weight room. Yeah. Same thing with like a guy from like a Sri Lanka, same thing. Um, so you're right. It's just, it's, it's culturally different. The expectation is different, but you can't deny the fact that these guys that still don't, what we may say, participate as actively in the weight room as others yep. still perform on the field just as good, if not better too. Yeah. And I think that has to be accepted and kind of question where really kind of gets in that debate. Like really where does, SNC fall in team sport and what is the goal and what is the purpose and I know there's been plenty of Twitter battles and especially I think there was a recent one over the last year with the head coach at Chelsea and I know Jose Mourinho is a big proponent of not using weight room so it's like yeah. all right kind of understand where's our place and how do we really help these guys perform on the field because at the end of the day they're professional soccer players professional basketball players they're not professional weightlifters yeah I had a, a chat a couple of weeks ago with the one and only Buddy Morris and he was very quick to point out that the weight room is a stimulus, right? Yes. It's a way to impose a stimulus. And if you start to think of it in that fashion, now it's got pros and cons like everything else. But when you start to think of everything is, what am I trying to get out of this? What stimulus or what adaptation am I trying to create? It changes your perspective on a lot of things in and out of the gym. Absolutely. And like the, my experiences would say the same thing too, is kind of, what is what is really what is my goal here? But what am I really trying to accomplish in season and out of season here? Am I really trying to adapt, make make physiological changes? Am I trying to induce some sort of you know buzzword of variability or get this guy out of pain? And the weight room is a modality that I can do that. Just like sprinting and doing drills on the court is a different modality, or a bar in the back is the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's different. There's different. They're all. It's a different strategy. And I think Buddy said it great. It's like it's a stimulus, and it's another avenue to provide that stimulus if you understand what you're doing with it. For sure. So beyond the cultural differences, and you've already kind of made mention of this, but there's obviously different logistical issues that you're going to deal with between pro soccer and pro basketball. So could you speak a little bit more to that point and how it may impact what you're doing as a therapist or as a coach? 
Of course. I, I think it's a, it's a unique question because there you can go into a couple of different avenues. I guess the first way that comes at this is if you look at the popularity in the sport itself. And so and in this country, MLS, of the five, five professional sports in this country that are watched on TV predominantly, basketball, hockey, baseball, football, and soccer, you could argue that soccer is more towards the bottom and basketball is more towards the top. And with that, kind of the first thing that comes to mind is resources, right? So the salary cap in soccer, I think this year is uh, $4.2 million for 20 players, whereas in basketball, it's a hundred and going into next year, it's going to be 109 million for 15 players. <laughs> That's right? crazy. And so it's, if you kind of just like appreciate that factor, that factor of salary cap per player, I mean, if you didn't do the math, what that comes down per player, but there's significantly more resources for the player. Well, if there's significantly more resources, resources for the player that trickles down all the way down to us on the medical performance side from, facilities from type of travel to technology to staffing so when i when i answer that that's a question i feel a lot hey what are the difference between mls and nba and i know dave tenney's talked about this quite a bit too when we get together like same thing like what are the differences and i've kind of come to answer the question as far as nba is more of a large corporation with hierarchy a lot of upper management whereas in soccer it's more of like a locally owned family business less people yeah more more of a community and you have people wearing multiple hats in mls and in basketball you are operating um and one portion of that right so to speak upon myself in soccer i was doing three or four different things right like subjective wellness gps monitoring coaching on the field and strength training in the weight room afterwards right and and basketball predominantly when i was you know working with the hawks it was and just treat the guys on the table. Be be a physical therapist. Be be a manual therapist. Take care of them on the table, and that's that's all you have to do. Because we had the resources to have other staff to do other things. Um, and then on top of that, those resources, uh, quality of facilities, quality of travel. I mean, soccer, you're going to travel commercial, um, and basketball, you're going to tr- travel private charter. Uh, per diems, different. All 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 those things kind of stem from. If you look at the salary cap and then on top of that, you have the travel schedule is completely different too. Sure. Based on the game schedule. So in soccer, typically for the most part of the season outside of open cup and maybe champions league, you're going to play one game a week, Saturday, to Saturday, Saturday, to Sunday, whatever it may be. And basketball, you're going to play three to four games a week and potentially four different cities or potentially the same city. So with that in itself, you already have, a disconnect between the amount of game time, the amount of practice time. And you could argue that in basketball, you really don't need to practice that much because the game itself is the training stimulus, but that's, that's not practical. We're going to, coaches are going to coach and strength coaches are going to lift and therapists are going to treat. And so with the, I guess from the logistical perspective to kind of circle back there and, and basketball, you really have to get creative. You have to get creative. When when do I have that finite window to get a treatment session in? Like we did treatment sessions in hotel beds and hotel rooms on treatment tables. We there's an expectation in basketball that you know you, you have to lift. But when you play four games a week, travel two days a week, and you have a day off, that's seven days already. So when are you going to lift? And many players will like I think you know our the way we approached it this past season. You know I think our strength coaches did a great job as far as hey get two lifts in per week. And you can split your lift up in half, right? And so a lot of players 
in basketball, the, the pregame is very long in basketball. Like you might have a game tip off might be at seven thirty, and we'll yeah you know, we'll have guys on the court doing their shoot around time at say at seven thirty five o'clock. Oh, wow. So there's two right. So there's like two and a half hours before tip off. So you'll get guys that'll go do a half lift or a lift before the game, or you'll get some guys that'll lift after the game. And the expectation is basketball. Hey, like you know what? There's gonna be times that we have to lift on game day. Yep. Whereas in soccer, whereas in soccer, no, it's like you can you play on Saturday. You're gonna probably have Sunday off. Monday will be a regen day. Tuesday, Wednesday, you're gonna put you're gonna put the bulk of your training in, and you can really structure a team training session on those days. So from a logistically from a performance perspective, it's more routine and consistent in soccer. Whereas basketball, the best way to describe it is it's you have to be creative, you have to be adaptable, and it's consistently inconsistent. <laughs> wow, that's such a good way to put it. I can just imagine. Because, I mean, I've been around, obviously, NBA guys in season, but I have not had a position like yours. But I've been around soccer, and that is one thing that's nice. You kind of have that consistent rhythm and routine. You kind of know how your body should feel. Like, I mean, I know you can attest to that. Guys know, like, hey, I'm going to feel beat up after a game. And, you know, Tuesday, probably going to be my biggest training session, Tuesday or Wednesday. I'm going to feel tired. But, you know, by Friday and Saturday, I should be recovered versus man, the NBA, it's just such a fluid thing. You constantly are like kind of managing and trying probably to figure out where is this guy at? How is he feeling? What do I need to be doing to get him feeling better? That is probably not an easy task for anybody on staff. No, it's not. It's as, as the season goes on, it turned like my role turned into more of symptom management and trying to allow these guys to be able to get on the court. Like they're going to get banged up. They, you treat a lot of the same things for each guy because they, when you play that many games and travel that much, it, it takes a toll on their bodies and you do the best you can to manage it. I think, and so, I think because of the, the way the schedule is and the expectations in soccer, you, you are able to, you have it. Sorry, you have a, you are afforded a better opportunity to develop over the course of a season Whereas in the NBA, because it's such a high volume of games, the opportunity to develop, not saying it can't happen. There are ways and there are practitioners out there that are doing it. It take, it just takes a lot more creativity and detail to be able to continue to develop through the amount of games that they play. Yeah. One thing that always blew my mind, oh, man, who, who was telling me this? Oh, it was Eric Otter with uh, the <laughs> Grizzlies. Course. And we were, we were chatting one day. He's like, it's the most bizarre thing because, you know, when you're at home, in his case, Memphis, you know, you've got these amazing facilities and weight rooms, but he's like, a lot of times you go on the road and you're literally working out in a hotel gym, you know, and it, I'm just like trying to imagine, you know, these NBA guys in a hotel gym, but then one of my good buddies who, uh, you know, lives a couple cities over, he comes down, he's staying at the Conrad one day with his family and goes to the, the workout room and, oh, there's, Dirk Diggler hanging out on the treadmill, getting a, a workout in. So right. it's just crazy to imagine, you know, the contrast in, you know, your guys' routines and what you have access to and just what the day-to-day -day life must really be like. Yeah. And I think that that like that right there, that example right there is a prime example of how you kind of just have to learn to learn to go with the flow, understand that it's never going to be an ideal situation. You have to be willing to adapt your training program, adapt your treatment strategies based on the constraints that are placed on you, either the hotel, the city. Now, some cities, 
you're fortunate enough where there is, say, a 24-hour fitness or an LA fitness or an Equinox like around the corner, and you can use that facility. But again, it all comes back to being creative and adaptable with everything that you do. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, one other thing that I would love to talk to you about is training and therapy at the various levels of sport. Because as you mentioned, you've worked in men's and women's pro sports, but you've also worked in the academy system in soccer as well. So would you mind speaking to how athletic development and therapy are different between those two worlds? It's a great question. It's a it's a difficult question to answer. Um, and where would it go? I would say like, when I when I when I see this question, I think less about what's different, more more about like what's what's similar. Because as you like as you alluded to, having different exposures and different environments, you kind of see like you gain you gain this various perspectives on how things can be done. You you learn what you like, you learn what you don't like. But at the same time, we're all chasing the same goal. We're all chasing to win games. And to win games, you got to have player availability. To have player availability, you need to have stronger, faster, fitter players. And the sport dictates kind of that last 20%. But you realize that, that kind of like 75 to 80% of it is the same because at the end of the day, we're treating an athlete. And if you kind of if, – if, if you take the perspective of this health performance continuum relative to rehab and training, it's like – how many, how much like symptoms or pain does this guy have? Or is he beat up? Like, where does he fall? Like how much of that does he need versus is he ready to go? And is he primed? And did he do the things that he did off the field to prep himself for the next day to be able to train? And so understanding where they fall along that allows you to be able to, to work on that day. And then from a development perspective, right, regardless if it's male, female, youth or kid, it's just understanding where they fall relative to how they present that day. But then also, relative to like a development perspective, regardless if you're a U14 player in the academy or you were Vince Carter at 42 years old, um, everything in between, right? The age, the age really doesn't, doesn't matter because it comes down to training age and movement competency, right? At the end of the day, all these players, like you kind of like when you, when you see these different fields, you see these different perspectives, you kind of understand Man, like everyone has to like, like almost like principles, right? Like you have everyone has to coordinate movement. Everyone has to manage forces. Everyone has to be fit. Everyone has to do it through like a graded exposure perspective. And so those things kind of play at everybody. So it's understanding, okay, where are you in that level of development? Like you can have an NBA guy, like a lot of NBA guys struggle to squat because of these long levers, because their knees are banged up, their ankles are banged up. But yet you can, I'll ha- may have a 18 year old academy player who's doing quote unquote higher level squatting drills because he has a higher movement competency versus someone that's maybe only had one year in the college system and basketball. Like I can think about a rookie this year, right? I had a rookie this year who did redshirt freshman was second year, um, in college and man, he struggled with a lot of the basic movements in the weight room. Whereas I remember having a U14 player being able to do more than he could. So the difference really comes down to, remove what the on the surface what they are an nba player an mls nwsl academy whatever they may be and kind of just look at what where are you at right now meet them where they're at and give them what they need to then be able to progress them forward working towards some sort of kpi or some sort of goal yeah that's such a great answer man and something i've been kind of working towards philosophically is this almost like regression analysis right because we get so caught up in and especially in the buzzwords, right? Like, oh, basketball specific, soccer specific. I, I train basketball players. And so 
you know, versus getting so caught up in that, like I start with, well, first and foremost, I train humans, right? Right. Like that, like the <laughs> yeah. psychology and just like, like all of us have certain basic needs that we need to meet. Right. So like I train yeah. humans first. And then second, I train athletes. And like you alluded to, like, look, everybody wants to have, you know, a faster 10 or a higher vertical jump, almost regardless of sports. So, okay, we can check those boxes. And then, you know, if they're good enough or if we're working at a high enough level, then we can talk about, no, now we need to be a little bit more specific to basketball or to soccer. But I think too often we get so caught up in, oh, I train X players or we need this X specific program. It's like, well, but have you checked these other boxes first? Right. And it's kind of like the, a flow chart or continuum that I'm working through. But that's such a great point on your part, man. Yeah. And, you know, it, it kind of comes back to just understanding, I guess not even understanding, but like where we are as a society, right? Like everyone on Instagram or Facebook or social media has something new and sexy that they want to talk about or show. And we just had this conversation. Oh, man, I was with LAFC the other day and we had this conversation with their performance staff. And we we're just talking about, man, it's like most of these guys really just need the simple stuff, as unsexy as it is. You really just need the big rocks of being stronger, faster, fitter. And the reality is like in team sport, our job is player availability. And like the, the analogy I think we were talking about was like physical preparation is kind of like a mountaintop. Like it's going to get you so high, but talent and skill is like the sky. The sky's the limit. It's always going to trump physical preparation. So in team sports, understanding we want player availability. We know that player availability is not being hurt. And we know that from numerous population studies that not being hurt is a product of, you know, being stronger, being having a, you know, being strong in a three arm trap bar, having a higher max aerobic speed and running and having a faster sprint time. But it's like hit those KPIs and then allow them to improve upon their, their skill and talent because we know that's what's going to ultimately lead to success on the field. So when it comes to, um, really taking a program for these guys a lot of these guys because we're in this age where i think you're talking about before the show like you get these 15 year old players especially in the academy system or basketball man they're being treated like professional players from a schedule perspective like six seven days a week like they're working with a skills coach they're working with their practice they're working they'll start working with their team in practice then they might go see a strength coach they may go see a chiro massage like they're doing all these things too to the point where Man, if you just give them, give them the little things. Let the weight room be their second sport. Let them, let them work on kind of the bigger movements. Man, it, it'll it'll do its job. And I don't think, as unsexy as that sounds, it really is your biggest bang for the buck. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And it's funny that you mentioned LAFC. I don't know if you got to hang out or meet any of the guys, but uh, Tyler Miller, their goalkeeper, so yeah. he he actually trained out here uh, two off seasons ago. Chad Marshall brought him out, and okay. so kind of fed him his uh, his programs for the offseason. And he's just such a great example. You had mentioned like the basics are not super sexy, but they pay off. That dude just I gave him a really basic kind of goalkeeper focused program. Again, I just talked about not being specific, but he gets paid <laughs> to play soccer. So he needs to be specific and very basic program that he executed at a very high level. That dude put like five inches on his vert in that offseason. And obviously for a goalkeeper, if you've got high skill and then you can improve your power and your explosiveness, you're probably going to do all right. So, Couldn't agree more. You're, you're spot on with that. Basics, man. Basics. So I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on this, this kind of final question because you've been on the show before. So you've done the big question. <laughs> yep. You're still a young guy, even though you've been doing this for 10 years now, which is mind-blowing. And 
you've just had so many cool experiences, right? You know, working in the MLS, working with the Pride, working with the Hawks. You know, if a new coach or therapist came to you for one piece of advice on how to get their career started on the right foot, what would that be? Another great question. Um, I'd say the one thing that I've faced time and time again is that question of like, uh, you get the question of experience, right? Like you get a new mm-hmm. grad, they want to apply to a job and it's, uh, we need three to five years of experience, especially in professional sports, right? That's just something that yep. is looked at. And how do you get that experience, right? Like, cause you want three to five years. Well, what I guess my, and I kind of my interpretation over the years has been is what really is that experience that you're talking about and experience is often looked at as time um but what does that time really give you time gives you exposure mm-hmm. and exposure to you know hey, i've seen this i've done this before this worked this didn't work that's i think that's where experience is really chasing so my my advice would be at a young age give yourself think about it as a pyramid right you want to give yourself the biggest base possible to be able to pull from different different avenues to be able to continue to go higher and higher. Yep. So at a young age, I would say give yourself as many exposures in as many different environments as possible. Whether that's, you know, if you're a physical therapy student, hey, just walking into as many clinics as you can, like physically walk through the door, not an email, not a DM on IG, like physically walk through the door, talk to the practitioner, give them a face to recognize with the name and ask if you can observe, like take different con ed courses, just get a different exposures to different systems to then be able to pull from different things and say, Hey, I think this is bigger than what I actually think it may be. Mm-hmm. And then like on the performance side too, I think what's, you know, I've been very fortunate to work in two different sports with two different genders and that in itself has its own, uh, different exposure. So I would encourage a young performance coach to, challenge yourself to, to, to work in different sports or, you know, gain exposure to different sports, not only different sports, but different ages, different countries, if you have the financial means to do so, because what they do in the EPL is different what they do in MLS, which is different what they do in, in, in Aussie. It's like those, all these cultures and countries offer something different. And that's been, um, that's what's worked for me up to this point. I can only speak on myself. I'm sure there's other people that have gotten to this position different ways, but I mean, it's kind of practice what you preach. Like I'm in that process of doing it right now as well, like exploring different opportunities and hey, like I'm just going to go learn from different people, talk to different people, be in different sports, different countries and try and gain more exposures to then be able to refine your model as you see fit. Yeah, such great advice. And it's it's literally what we tell all these young kids to do, right? Play a bunch of sports, go out and do free play and all that. Well, we're no different, right? And I think one of the worst things you can do as a coach, as a physical therapist, as a personal trainer is just get lodged into like a pigeonhole or just, you know, like live in this bubble. And that's one reason, like, I mean, I think iFast is pretty darn good at at training and coaching people. And I think Bill Hartman is a brilliant mind and I love spending time with him. But there's also reasons that I try and go out and see other practitioners and and go to other gyms because you don't want to you don't want to just become like this, I don't know, like brainwashed human being or coach, right? I'm sure I could have put it more eloquently than that. But <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you don't want to have just this one set of experiences. The The analogy that, that I always use is, you know, do you want to be uh, somebody that's 
coach for 15 years, but you've literally got the same year of experience 15 times over? Or do you want to be the person that's got legitimately 15 years of experience because you're constantly educating yourself? You're growing your network. You're going to seminars. You're continuing to grow and evolve your own model and your own thought process. So, you know, not to totally hijack your answer, but I mean, (laughs) it's that is what we need to do if we're going to continue to grow and evolve as an industry. Absolutely. It it comes down to this concept of being a generalist or being a specialist, right? Like I think your best practitioner, I think that's where Bill is fantastic at, right? We can both relate to Bill is he... He's a massive generalist, but at times in his career or times in his life, he will go down that rabbit hole to be a specialist in that topic yep. and then pull himself out to be like, okay, went there, did that. Let me pull myself out and understand that this could be bigger than what that is. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's where rather than being brainwashed, uh, you, 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 uh, if we can take that perspective, like yeah, it's good to go down a rabbit hole, yep. but be able to pull yourself out yes. and, and still have that. I like to say, be able to just like zoom out and zoom in and fluctuate back and forth. Fantastic. Love it, man. Okay. Last but not least, we have our lightning round. So four questions, starting with number one, bro, how was that trip to Hawaii? (laughs) I was fantastic, man. Uh, I got a lot of sun Uh, and I'm an adventurous at heart. So Hawaii is an adventurous dreamland, like cue the TLC, uh, chasing waterfalls and whatnot. (laughs) Uh, you know, but it was, it was a good experience too, because it was a bit of business and pleasure. And I was was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to go spend some time with the Navy SEALs out there, educate their performance medical staff, and also train some of their, um, SEALs as well. But then on the flip side, it was, you know, those guys are just savages, man. It was was just a great experience, both professionally and personally. It was awesome. Highly recommend anyone anyone that gets to Hawaii, get get there. It's a great place to be. Yeah, it's definitely uh, on our family's list. Number two, what book or books are you reading right now? I'm always interested in what's in your queue. Sure. Uh, Great. What do I got right here? I got them on my bed right here. Um, So I got a textbook called Biotensegrity. That's more along the line. Yep, just just some. <laughs> uh, that's kind of like on the premise of like a systems way of thinking at uh, cellular biology and how the body works. Uh, then I've got this book called The Four Agreements. Uh, oh yes, that, that is a great book. Mm-hmm. Four Agreements, and then just by chance, I have another book that's called The Four, which is about how Google, Facebook, Apple, and Google, Facebook, Apple. Wow, who was the other one? Google, Facebook, Apple, Amazon. And Amazon, thank you. Yes, they're how they're taking over the world. Yeah, oh, uh, I believe just that. Just kind of just understanding like how these companies got to where they are and what they're really about and what they're what they're doing. Just kind of diving into that world. I don't know. Very cool. Very cool. Okay, number three, across soccer and basketball, is there any one athlete who really stood out to you from a physical perspective? Because you see these guys up close and personal. Was there anybody that you're just like, wow? That guy is just a beast. I feel like I almost have to say Vince Carter because the guy's 42 years old, just finished his 21st season. He's still throwing down windmill dunks in practice. Yeah. Um, I feel like I just can't not say that. Um, yeah, he's just – and not not for nothing too, but he like uh, – he's just he, – well, guess what kind of – the respect I have for him is how much he cares for his body and the habits that he does. That's such a – at such an age and kind of just may, you know, granted he's gifted and whatnot, but you kind of want to think, all right, like if he does all these habits and everyone does this, does that really lead to a, a longer career type thing? You know, it's, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah, that's, 
That's cool. And I would tell you, if you are a, a young basketball fan, if you have not done this, go back and just find a YouTube highlight reel of some of his dunks because arguably one of the best, not just like dunk contest dunks, but like in-game dunks. Like, oh, yeah. His dunk the guy contest. dunked over a seven-footer. I mean. <laughs> the 2000 slam dunk contest, I think, is still considered one of the best performances in in NBA history, what he did there. So yeah, yeah, it's fascinating there. Yeah. He's awesome, man. Okay. Last but not least, number four, what's next for Adam Luwakano? Oh, uh, great question. Uh, I, if I, I don't, don't really know, uh, pursuing some uh, opportunities at this point. Uh, also just kind of take some time to personal travel, personal time with family and friends and, you know, low key, subtle plug. Uh, I'm a free agent right now. So anyone out there, you're looking for <laughs> Looking for a new PT or coach like here. I'm here to talk. But uh, yeah, man, just kind of just taking it day by day at this point and enjoying life more than anything. I love it, man. Uh, well, Adam, it's always great to catch up with you. I always love our chats. Where can my listeners find out more about you and what you have going on? Yeah, likewise, Mike. I, lo- I love talking shop with you. Uh, I don't really have a social media presence. I mean, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, I prefer kind of just like connecting over the phone or email and talking shop. Uh, all my handles are my first and last name so adam dot loyakno or adam underscore loyakno feel free to reach out um always happy to to connect with people awesome man again my guy thanks so much for coming on the show brother i appreciate it yeah man thanks for having me on it's nice to catch up guys that does it for this week's show with adam sincerely hope you enjoyed it like i said up top he's one of those guys i just love chatting with we have such great back and forth and look for a young guy i mean he's got 10 years of experience in pro sports the guy is just a wealth of experience and he's somebody that i think we can all learn a thing or two from so my friends again thank you so much for your support thank you so much for helping me get to uh, the 101 five-star reviews. I truly, truly appreciate that. And as I say each and every time, I love you, I appreciate you, and we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care.